0: If your best thinking got you to now, but you're not satisfied with now, then you're gonna need new ideas. You're gonna need new thinking.
1: I'm Megan Hyatt Miller, and this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Joel, my husband, our chief product officer, is back with me today. I'm so excited that he is here. I love it when Joel joins me on the podcast. We are going to be talking about something that is really important at Michael Hyatt & Company, and that is how do you build a culture of good ideas? So. This is kind of an easy thing to take for granted if you're already doing it, but it might be really mysterious if you are struggling with it. But as it turns out, it's a whole thing, right?
0: Yeah, I like to think of it as sort of the the difference today between the difference in like the 1950s. And you think about, uh, you know, like a Disney movie, like the horse in the gray flannel suit or something like that. And you've got basically this this ad man cooking up ideas. And he's the most creative person in the entire business. Everybody else is just selling uh, like the, the equivalent of Alka-Seltzer. And so in there's like <laughs> businesses that are like very one-dimensional and that's kind of like an old picture of business. Right. New business, it seems like incredibly dynamic. I mean, even Maytag is dynamic these days compared to what companies used to be. And so that means ideas. Like, if you don't have ideas, you're dead.
1: Right. Well, and this is really important as we think about leadership, as we think about scaling a business, because usually... What gets us into leadership or being a business owner is our ability to be kind of that idea person, right? But if we're scaling, we're going to successfully scale, whether that is in a you know individual team within a larger organization or an entire business, we have to go from being the only idea guy or gal to leading a conversation with lots of idea people. And that's kind of a whole other thing. And it doesn't just happen by accident. There are really certain things that... You have to do and not do to set the stage for that kind of culture, or you'll undermine it unintentionally.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really true. You have to recognize that as an individual, when you have ideas, there's like this little committee in your head that is operating. You know, you have ideas that you've learned in the in the past. You have assumptions or prejudices that you hold on to without even thinking about. You have all kinds of new learning. All of these voices in your head are busy, like. Fighting with each other, arguing with each other, collaborating with each other, coming up with new ideas. When you expand that to a new group of people, you have to recognize that the same basic dynamic is going to happen, that there are prejudices, (laughs) that there are assumptions, that there are new, that there's new learning, that there's stuff that hasn't been integrated yet. There's all of that, all those crazy loose threads, and they have to somehow come together and be turned into something. And that requires some intentional work you might do it on your in your own head without even thinking about it but the minute right. you expand it to multiple heads you got to think about it
1: it can get a little messy well today we want to show you four ingredients that will enable you to create a big idea culture on your team or inside your organization right. So ingredient number one in building a big idea culture is to embrace audacious thinking. This is a big one. It's really, really important, Joel.
0: Run-of-the-mill ideas are not that useful. So when you think about what everybody else is doing, if you want to do what everybody else is doing, that's great. Um, But now you're competing against everybody. And you're not really going to have the advantage of an evolution in thinking or development in thinking of new thoughts. So the way you you get new thinking is to push the edges of the thinking that you have. And there are lots of ways to do that. But one of the simplest ways is to go extreme, like to just say... (laughs) What is the craziest version of this? What's the most extreme version of this? What's the, what's the exact opposite of the thing that we're thinking about? What, there are like these just frames or things that you can use to kick the, the boundary of something further out. And in audacious thinking, like countercultural thinking is critical. And you may always come back, you know, like once you've pushed it as far as you possibly can, you may bring it right back but it showed you what was possible maybe it showed you a better path maybe like when you think about those crazy fashion shows that happen in various cities that you know everybody looks at you know on twitter or people magazine or whatever and says i would never wear that well obviously that's not the point of that show the point of that show is to do something completely outlandish that would never be done but which does give you maybe an inch in a different direction that could be done same thing with concept cars like if you're detroit you got you're working on or any other auto manufacturer you're working on concept cars that will never be driven but they are concept cars they are cars that are designed to stretch your thinking about what's possible with an automobile and that's what we need in business we need in leadership in general we need like concept Concepts. We need theories that are like new and different and stretch the bounds so that you can begin to see what the bounds really are. Because most of the bounds in life that we experience are completely arbitrary. And if they're not completely arbitrary, they're completely imaginary. Mm-hmm. And you might as well see what's possible.
1: You know, when I think about this and how we do this within our own organization, I think one of the things that we've done that's really worked that is true culturally and it's kind of part of this big idea culture is that there are no sacred cows. Mm -hmm. You know, so what that means is when you're trying to get people to embrace audacious thinking, one of the biggest obstacles to that is that people think their best ideas are the ones they've already shared, right? Yeah. So this product. Um, this way that we deliver a service, this marketing campaign, that copy that I wrote, whatever it is, I mean, that's like brilliant, you know? And so then they go into this mode of self-protection and it really – you sit in a meeting, for example, and it's a lot about people defending their territory or their ego. Like that's the conversation under the conversation. Sure. And I think that one of the things that we've done really well at Michael Hyatt & Company is that we have encouraged a culture of collaboration where everybody works together and it's not about – You know, your individual contribution necessarily or your ego. Um, But we've also said, and I say a lot, and I I think this has to happen at a leadership level. So if if you are the leader on your team or in your organization, this is important. Hey, that's just the best idea I've had so far. Mm -hmm. Or, you know what? This is not as there are no sacred cows in this conversation. Like, there's nothing we can't mess with or break down or reconsider. You know, obviously, if there are implications to people, we're always conscious of that. But I'm not really talking about that. We're really just talking about ideas, you know, that if people feel like they have to tread lightly because your ego may be bruised as the leader and you have to set the stage with this yourself, then they won't do it. You know, so you have to lead by example in this as with everything else. Um, to to make people know that there are no sacred cows. You know, we embrace audacious thinking. And then when people bring up their ideas, some crazy idea, what if we just completely sold that part of our business or we killed that product or we started this new thing and you're like inside, you're like, oh my gosh, that's too much. You have to consciously as the leader, encourage that moment. Because even like you said with the concept cars, even if you don't end up Implementing that idea, the fact that they were willing to say it, that they they were willing to kind of be irreverent in their consideration of the past in that moment and what was in place, it needs to be encouraged or you'll shut it down. It's really important.
0: You know, just practically speaking, one of the ways I do this in meetings, and, you know, for even some people on our team now, it happens often enough that they joke about it. But in a meeting, I ask, like, do we still believe that? Do we still like that? And I asked that about almost everything. And that's why people laugh at it at this point. But so now I just have to come up with some new way of asking that question. So this is a slightly more theoretical way of saying it and then we'll try to apply it more directly. Every instantiation of an idea, every expression of an idea is fitted for the time it was given. So if, you know, I don't know, Moses comes down from the mountain and speaks to the people, he speaks, right? And that's an instantiation for that moment years and 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 later Ezra comes back from captivity in Babylon and brings up the people and he has to do it again the everything has to be reiterated everything has to be redone and there're going to be changes along the way so there are there's going to have to be like an interpretation of things there's going to have to be an adjustment of things to the new context and this happens in in every idea that you have in business so like let's say we're talking about A productivity system like free to focus or a goal setting system like your best year ever, those have to be updated from time to time and they have to be updated because there's new research. There's new contextual issues that people are facing in their workspace. There's all kinds of new things happening in the environment that need to be addressed. So every particular instantiation of an idea, every expression of an idea is only fitted for that time. And and what that means is that it's always subject to change. It's always subject to being updated. There it's it's not sacred because it's not sacred. It's mm-hmm. just fitted for that time. So there's no sacred cows because the cows were never sacred to begin with. Right. And and we just recognize that we're gonna always have to be updating this stuff because if we wanna be relevant to people, if we wanna have a valid Application of an idea to their particular experience, it's going to have to be fitted to that experience. It's going to have to be newly appropriated to that experience. Mm -hmm. Applied.
1: I love that. And I think there's so much freedom. I hope you can hear the excitement in our voices as we're talking about this because what we know from our experience is what it feels like to be in a conversation and watch, for example, newer team members have a conversation where there is audacious thinking and realize, hey, do we still believe this anymore? And how freeing it is to realize we might not still believe this anymore and it might change everything. Or we do because it does stand the test of time. And yeah, absolutely. We still believe this, you know, and that there's a certain amount of freedom that sets the stage for the kind of creativity and that big idea culture that we're really looking for. So I love this. Okay. So that's ingredient number one, embrace audacious thinking. Ingredient number 2 is to encourage vulnerability. This goes really hand in hand with this mm-hmm. idea of audacious thinking because to be audacious is to depart from kind of what is expected, what is considered normal, and that's inherently vulnerable, right? I mean, you're yeah, kind of putting yourself ris- you're yeah, you're it's risky. I mean, people could think that's stupid. Who does she think she is? that would never work, right? There's so many objections, probably all of which are running through your own head before, during, and after having shared an audacious idea with a mm-hmm. group, especially. Um, it's hard enough to think it yourself, right? And so how do we encourage people to take those kinds of risks you know, culturally? So Joel, talk about how you do that on your team.
0: Well, let me just give an example of how this pops up from time to time. So we had a brand called the Focus Leader that we went to a great deal of trouble to build. Um, we purchased IP for it that was pre-existing uh, in terms of branding. We uh, you know created all sorts of new assets for it. We custom uh, we adjusted a lot of content to fit it. We did all kinds of stuff to make this work. We created a live event and we did a bunch of other things. And once we had got going on it for a while, we realized it wasn't doing what we wanted it to do in the way that we wanted it to do it. And so we decided to kill it. And in the deciding to kill it, that was audacious. Like, okay, here's this big idea that we've had, that we've been working on, that we've been using for a while. And we've now taken a second look at it, a third, fourth, fifth look at it, and have decided that it's not really part of our future the way we want it to be. It's not serving our needs the way we want. So let's kill it. Well, to express that idea, maybe we should kill it, requires audacity. It requires some risk. It requires that uh, the person who's, who's speaking it trust that they'll be okay in voicing something like that. But it also requires that people whose ego is wrapped up in that be vulnerable too, to know that like their right. idea may not survive. And if we can all recognize that, and this is what I try to encourage my team to think, if we can all recognize that our best thinking is fitted for the moment and is not necessarily, it's not necessarily for all time, or even if it is, like let's say it's fundamental, foundational, true, it's good for all time, it still needs to be applied in new ways. It still needs to be adjusted and and addressed to new audiences. So if we can just recognize that, then we can all have some faith, we can all have some trust that when we express those audacious ideas, people will take us seriously and won't be self-protective. As you know, Moses, our too-cool-for-school 13-year-old, he would say, "It's if your idea is trash, then you should get rid of it. And <laughs> and I think you know we need to recognize that sometimes our ideas are not what we think, and they, they're not as good as we think. Or even if they are, they just don't fit the moment. Unless you have cultivated a sense in which everyone on the team knows that they're pulling for each other, and right. know that they're for each other, then you can't be vulnerable that way. And then you'll never get the big audacious ideas.
1: I think this is about affirming people when they do share audacious thinking or when they're willing to uh, question their own assumptions or ideas and even acknowledge the feelings of vulnerability that come up when that happens. you know, like... This is a little uncomfortable, or this—you know—this could easily make us feel a little insecure right there, right here. But that's okay because you know what? It's just our best thinking till now, and there was a lot of hard work in it, and that was valuable. But our our best ideas are the ones that are coming in the future, you know. Hundred percent. Just to kind of reaffirm that again, if you're the leader to set the tone is really. Important. You know, I had a situation happen recently where we were doing some long range planning as an executive team. And we were specifically thinking because we're going to be building a building and a new headquarters here in the next couple of years. You know, what do we think our team's going to look like in five years, for example? And that's an important thing to know if you're going to build space for those people. And I had come up with what I thought was a pretty good way to think about it. And it was a little different than what we had now, but it was, it was really going to be exciting. And, you know, I shared it with the executive team and they were pumped about it. Well, I went on sabbatical. And as always happens when I'm on sabbatical, people have breakthrough ideas. That we didn't even think about before I left, right? And so it it got changed while I was gone. And then it mm-hmm. got presented to me by the executive team like, hey, we kind of took what you came up with, but then we iterated on it. And here's what we think would be even better than that. And what was so awesome about that was the vulnerability, the audacity first, but also the vulnerability that it took to come back to me as a CEO and say, hey, you had this idea for something, but we had an even better idea. And I had a real choice to make in that moment because the very first thing, you know, just like the the knee jerk reaction I had was, wait, that was a really good idea I had. But the truth is, I know, because I've seen this happen millions of times, that the best ideas don't always come for me. In fact, they usually don't come for me. My job is to set the stage for a conversation where great ideas can happen and facilitate that, not to be the originator all the time of the best ideas. And so I chose to really affirm that. And then I had one of my executives come to me and just say, hey, I know like we really kind of messed with what you had and I just wanted to make sure we're okay. And I was like, absolutely. I love that you guys thought out of the box that you were bold enough and vulnerable enough to come share that with me. And the truth, Is what you came up with is a better solution for the future. My what I came up with was necessary to get us to what you ultimately came up with. But that's that's its true purpose. And that's okay with me. I don't need to be the last word or be right in that moment. And I just thought that's such a great example, I think, of this this idea of encouraging vulnerability as one of the ingredients for big idea culture.
0: The way I like to think about it is this your best thinking got you to now. Are you satisfied with now? nobody's satisfied with now everybody wants to go someplace else which is to say your best thinking is not going is not enough so if your best thinking got you to now but you're not satisfied with now then you're going to need new ideas you're going to need new thinking and that's like those two things are true both together and that's that's like empowering actually
1: All right. So ingredient number one is a reminder to building a big idea culture is to embrace audacious thinking. Ingredient number two is to encourage vulnerability. And ingredient number three is to normalize experimentation. This is maybe the hardest one, don't you think, Joel? Mm
0: -hmm. You know, yes, because let's just be honest, nothing works, right? And, (laughs) And- When nothing works, what that means is you're constantly having to adjust and, you know, make tweaks and all of that to make something. Okay, what do you
1: mean by nothing works? Because people are listening to you and they're like, hey, a lot of things are working.
0: I don't mean nothing works in the big sense. I just mean that nothing works automatically. Almost everything requires, like vision on the front end it requires alignment in between like keeping your team going on something making sure that the settings are right uh making sure that you're got the right people in the right place that you're all of those alignment questions all of which are really honestly uh sometimes difficult sometimes easy but always necessary and then finally execution where there are 52 different ways to go wrong on any given day and And you need all of that working together. So when I say everything, nothing works, everything goes wrong, I mean, there's always challenges. And so an an attitude of experimentation says, I don't expect this crazy audacious idea that you just had to be simple and obvious and work necessarily immediately. We're gonna have to try it out. We're gonna have to apply it some way in some limited scale, or even if it's a big scale, we're gonna have to do it knowing that we're gonna have to make adjustments.
1: Well, I feel like the anti ingredient here would be perfectionism, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the enemy to, to this big idea culture in this particular ingredient would be perfectionism where we, sure, we want new ideas, but we want them to work flawlessly. We don't want them to ever be embarrassing. We don't ever want any kind of failure to be associated with them. You know, we want to just make sure they're good from the beginning, which of course is not how. Big ideas work. The nature of big ideas is that you don't know if they're going to work or not until you try them. And you have to try them to find out in many cases, right? And so failure has to become something that you expect and you um, even embrace as part of the experimentation process. When we are experimenting and iterating, there will be little failures along the way. And I think our job as leaders. It's to decide what does that failure mean? Does it mean that we're not that good at this? Does it mean that we shouldn't try this kind of stuff anymore because it's too risky? Or is it information for how to be better in the future? Is it information to make this audacious idea really amazing, really transformational? Or or maybe if it's a complete failure, and believe me, we've had some of those. That's just the nature of innovative, big idea thinking and culture is that those ideas that don't work always end up being the seeds for something else that's even better. And you look back on it and you're grateful for those quote unquote failures in the past.
0: Yeah. Failure. I mean, fundamentally, failure is information, right? It doesn't communicate a whole lot, but what it does communicate is information. And you get to interpret that and use that information as you want. Some people may use that information to say, well, I'm a failure or uh, this whole thing won't work or whatever. Other people will look at whatever the information is and say, ah, this means we need to adjust here. This means we need to go invest here, whatever that is, whatever those adjustments are. And then that will be the thing that ends up producing success. Experimentation does something that is fundamental to moving through the world successfully. And that is providing you feedback. If you don't get feedback, you cannot adjust. You cannot, you can't even act. So experimentation is just a way of acknowledging this is, in fact, let me just back up. This is why we're saying normalize experimentation, normalize the fact that this is rough, that this is first drafty, that this is not perfect. I remember reading a expert on self-publishing way back in the day before that was easy, whose name was Pointer. I, I think his name was Dan Pointer. And he was talking about authors that never finished their books. And I have never forgotten this. He said, I forgot his name, but I haven't forgotten what he said. He said, as soon as the book is 95% done, it's done. And that was a really liberating thought. And I have retained that thought ever since because it means something really foundational about this idea of experimentation, about this idea of failure, about this idea of new ideas, they're never going to be 100%. They're never going to be perfect. Without the information that you're getting from actually launching, from actually shipping, from actually publishing, from actually doing whatever it is that you're doing, you'll never actually be able to finish. And so normalizing experimentation is just part of proactively taking big audacious ideas and doing something with them.
1: Okay, I have to have a little confessional moment. You're my husband. Oh, no. Yes. So this one is hard for me, not because I am exactly a perfectionist. I'm trying to think if people would say that I was. I, I definitely have perfectionistic tendencies. I think this is hard for me because of ingredient number two, vulnerability, purging mm-hmm. vulnerability. I am fine with other people's vulnerability. I, I struggle with my own vulnerability around this because – and I think this might be a curse of being a visionary. I always see the gap between what something could be and what it is today. Mm-hmm. And by the time it gets uh, brought to life in physical form, whatever that is, you know, I'm already like two years ahead in my thinking. Yeah. And I, it's like I think everybody else can see it through the lens of my imagination. And they see what's missing, you know. And this is, by the way, something that I think is a superpower for me and also can really be dangerous if I'm not self-aware about it. Yeah. It's a superpower in that I can see something in the future. Futuristic is my number one strength in the strengths um assessment. But also, I can get really defeated and even feel badly like, you know, can kind of be like a shame trigger for me mm-hmm. that... Things are not what I want them to be in the present. And you know this better than anybody because this is true personally. It's true professionally. And I can really struggle with this. And it it can be very frustrating. So I don't know if anybody else listening (laughs) relates to me in this. Maybe it's just me. Um, But this can be hard for me. And I have to really remind myself as I'm watching things launch or are out kind of in the wild now that were at one time big ideas in the incubation stage but are not Maybe in the two-year in the future version in my head that that's really okay. That we're we're always iterating. We're never going to get there. That's not the point. You know, the point is to always be thinking audaciously, always be encouraging vulnerability in ourselves, and to you know to normalize this experimentation process and the failure that goes along with it or that gap kind of experience.
0: Yeah, I have a similar version of that challenge, which is that as an editor, I look at almost any text that we are working on, even that I'm reading, and I see the problems with it. Yeah. And I always know how to make something a little bit better, if not a whole lot better, you know? And in order to not discourage my own teammates, sometimes I have to say, you know, like, this is great, and then not finish the sentence with, and next year, we're going to make it even better when we do these 15 things to it, you know? Because they're
1: working behind you kind of like in this um, imaginative process of thinking. You're on the very front end. And by the time your team is executing, they are months or sometimes even years behind you in the process. So for them, it's the big idea today. For you, it was the big idea a year ago or six months ago or two years mm-hmm. ago, right? And so yeah. it, it is important to be careful not to discourage people with our words.
0: 100%. Yep. Yeah.
1: Okay, so that was ingredient number three, normalize experimentation. The last ingredient to creating a big idea culture on your team or inside your organization is to prioritize research and development investment. So basically what I mean by this is that it's very easy as a leader to have this mindset that's all about execution in the present, right? We're, we're just going to try to execute on this quarter's goals or this year's goals and we don't really have time to mess with the stuff that doesn't have maybe a revenue implication in the, in the positive for this year, right? And so we, we just kind of unintentionally oftentimes discourage people from thinking out of the box, thinking out of this year's budget, thinking out of what they're working on currently. And if we're going to get to the future, we're going to need kind of new track laid to get there. And somebody's got to be working on that track. And so I would love to hear, Joel, from you. How you have your team, the people who are really charged with helping to generate and flesh out ideas for our future, how you have them engaged in research and development on your team?
0: Well, this kind of goes back to experimentation. And they're related in that R&D, research and development, experimentation is part of R&D. It is a way in which you are learning. And that learning may not have an immediate application It may, or the application may be something you can't actually do something with uh, right away. You know, like let's say you have funding reasons why you're not going to move forward on something right now, but you are definitely going to do it later. And you have to continue working on something in order to be ready for that when that happens. There are any number of times in which that kind of decision will come up or that tension will come up. But it's an important tension because if you think about what you're doing in a business with big ideas is you are trying to take something that doesn't exist yet and then bring it into existence. And we've already stated that that's going to require vulnerability and and experimentation because you're not going to get it perfectly right, right out of the gate. You may not ever get it right in terms of like its final form. Uh, because if it's final, it's probably dead, right? It's going to keep on developing and keep on growing. What that means, practically speaking, is that people are going to be spending time, headspace, uh, energy, resources from the company, developing things that are not ready to launch tomorrow, that are not ready to launch six months from now, that are not ready to launch a year from now, that may never launch in some cases. But the groundwork was needed in order to get to the next thing, whatever that next thing was. And, and that requires a willingness from the company to say, yeah, I want you to spend your time there. Yeah, I want you to put your thinking in that. Yeah, I want you to, you know, have a meeting, for instance. We have a meeting once a month called What We're Learning, where the content team, the product team just gets together and we talk about what we're learning. Because if Larry one of our writers is learning something and Hannah, another one of our writers is learning something and it would benefit Hannah to know what's in Larry's head. There's gotta be a mechanism to get it from Larry's head to Hannah's head. Now we may have that meeting and nothing happened. Hannah may get nothing out of Larry that time. But if we don't have that meeting, that chance for that to happen goes away. And then all of a sudden, the chance connection that Hannah could have, that may be the next big idea, that may be the kind of adjacent possible for her audacious thought, she doesn't get, it. and then the company loses. So you really have to have in that kind of tension of the payoff is now or the payoff is in the future. You have to have the you have to manage that tension by saying we're going to facilitate these these kinds of investments of time, attention, whatever to make sure that you've done the groundwork for the big idea.
1: I love that. And I think I see this in multiple places in our company. Another place where this is happening is on the executive team. So we meet on a weekly basis for about two, two and a half hours where we just talk about whatever is important uh, for the week, usually kind of a big picture level, we're talking about things. But what we realized is that even that's not enough, that what we actually need is space and time to think about big ideas in with uninterrupted time. So sometimes, you know how you have a meeting and you're like, God, that is so important to talk about. We need like half a day or we need a day for that. And so what we're gonna experiment with, and you know, at some point we'll report back on this in the podcast, is we're gonna go away as an executive team once a quarter for about three and a half or four days. And part of that will be a quarterly preview process for the business that we'll do together, both for the company, but then as individual leaders. But then the other part of that is going to be Big idea time. And we're going to talk about ideas that are important to our future, but that have a two to five year time horizon. You know, things like organizational design, product development, vision, things that, you know, certainly we talk about at strategic planning, but unless your strategic planning process, especially the front end of it, lasts for weeks and weeks, you probably don't really have the time to have lengthy conversations like that kind of at your leisure. And so we're going to pick two to three topics from a list. We're actually going to do this here in another week uh, that we're going to be talking about from a list that I have now of about 10 or 12 things that over the course of the next year or so, we're going to dig into that are really important, big idea topics that we want to make space for. For those kinds of conversations, so I think there's an application for this at the visionary leadership at an executive level or executive committee level. I think there's uh, room for this on an individual team level at a functional level. You know, on your product team or your marketing team or your finance team or wherever else. You know, how can maybe it's not several days? Maybe it's just a conversation that lasts a couple hours once a month or once a quarter. But how can you give people permission and then encourage that? Also, how can you resource things that they're interested in, whether that's buying courses, books, professional development, like you said, Joel, things that don't have immediate application to the business today but may for tomorrow. I think that's really what we're talking here with prioritizing R&D development. So today we've been talking about what are the four ingredients that you need to create a big idea culture on your team or inside your organization. Ingredient number one, embrace audacious thinking. Ingredient number two, encourage vulnerability. Ingredient number three, normalize experimentation. And ingredient number four, prioritize R&D. So Joel, any final thoughts on what we need to be thinking about with regard to creating this kind of big idea culture on our team?
0: I think that business leaders, organizational leaders of any kind, need to fall in love with ideas and what ideas represent. When we talk about vision, when we talk about alignment, when we talk about execution, behind every one of those concepts are ideas about how to do them or how to think about them. And our success really comes down to how well we conceptualize those ideas how well we're able to think through those ideas and then come up with means of applying them and so to create a big idea you know company a company that is good at this at doing this is to create a company that is ready to scale that can successfully scale no matter what happens in the marketplace because Everything changes. Like, you know, 15 minutes from now, the world will be different than it is right now. Heraclitus said, you know, however many millennia ago, you don't step into the same river twice. The reason that's true is because that is fundamentally true about the about nature, about like the existence of humans in this world. And that's true for businesses too. And so that means if you wanna have a business that's ready to step into a different river every time you need to, you need to have big thinkers. On your team. You need to have cultivated a love for ideas and how they apply and how they can reapply and newly apply and stretch and bend and all the other things that ideas have to do to successfully get across your next river.
1: Well, Joel, we've got Heraclitus. We've got Old Testament references. Guys, I promise you, this is just a regular day in the life of being married to Joel Miller. It's never boring. And the references are diverse and plentiful. (laughs) That's what I can say. Joel, this has been so much fun to have you on the show today. And I can't wait to have you on again soon.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. I love, uh, I love this show, I love doing what we're doing, and I love you too.
1: Well, guys, I hope you're inspired to build a big idea culture on your team. I hope you're ready to fall in love with ideas because, man, it is really fun to work in a company where this is characteristic of your culture. I hope you're inspired. I hope you'll implement these ingredients into your culture soon and let us know how it goes. I can't wait to see you back here next week. Until then, lead to win.